on today's podcast, we're joined by 10 News Sports Director and 1090 Radio Contributor Ben Higgins. We'll talk about bunting and Bud Black, hashtag vote Amarista, Justin Upton, and the Padres' relationship with North County. This is the June 1st edition of the Gwintelligence Podcast. edition of the Gwintelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined as always by Padres Jagoff. Yes, we're here with a very special guest. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is our second on-site podcast, and we are joined by TV6's rival, Ben Higgins. <laughs> we're not actually rivals. We're, we're media partners. I, I don't even know exactly what that means, but uh, yeah, me and uh, Hacks are, are good buds from a long time ago. Call our radio days. Exactly, Call yeah. yes. Uh, a little competition there, but also some friendly cooperation as well. You know, it was actually talked about on the Padres and Pints podcast this week with Lob Shots that we are now permanently on Team Hacksaw because we interviewed him. There's no escaping. So we're trying to kind of change that, you know, rebrand ourselves as Team Higgins here. Well, everyone's been on Team Hacksaw at some point. <laughs> and then they've probably, you know, been angered by Team Hacksaw at some point as well. So it just all goes in cycles. And we're all Padres fans, so... You know, everyone's eligible for the uh, Intelligence podcast, and it's and it's a good day to be a Padres fan after last night's game. Uh, I was there, very exciting. Um, were you there, Ben? Uh, I was not. I was in the studio, but I watched the whole thing while I had the. I actually had the San Diego State game. This is the. Uh, I'm sure uh, if you're picking it up now, this is the uh, walk off Derek Norris Grand Slam game we're talking about uh, from the Friday night in late May. But I was watching the Aztecs in the NCAA tournament on my computer screen and the Padres on my TV screen and getting highlights from both. And if you happen to also be a San Diego State baseball fan, I really one of the better nights for baseball in San Diego. I mean, a, a go-ahead, straight steal of home for the Aztecs in the NCAA tournament. And then about 30 minutes later, you get a walk-off Grand Slam for the Padres. It was a, it was a fun night to be a sportscaster. I was really pumped in our 11 o'clock newscast to get to do both of those highlights in the same two-minute span. Well, I have to object for one second because I am wearing my UC Santa uh, Barbara well, alumni I, shirt I right tweeted now. that. I said it's a great night for San Diego baseball fans unless you're a Pittsburgh transplant and went to UCSB. <laughs> and that's probably not a great night if you're a San Diego baseball fan. Well, you got to admit, the st- straight steal at home. Did you see the highlights? The I video highlights? They were incredible. I haven't watched the highlights yet. I'm, I'm still recovering from last night's game, unfortunately. But... Uh, I actually still root for San Diego State over UC Santa Barbara, even though I went to UC Santa Barbara. Grew up rooting for SDSU, and I just can't get back. I didn't, can't I didn't go to San Diego State either, but I pull for the Aztecs, having covered them for so long. And I grew up here as well. I went to uh, Pomona College, one of the Claremont colleges up in L.A., so Division three sports doesn't exactly give me a, a lot to root for in terms of college basketball That's or football. I'm, so. I'm a fellow Division three alum. I understand that. Yeah, the exactly. Plight. So I picked San Diego State as my kind of adopted team to root for, and I love USD as well. I've, you know, I've called games for the Toreros and in basketball as well. So I pull for both of our local teams, and I want them both to do well. I try to take like a realist approach on it. Like When UCSB and, U, uh, and SDSU play in basketball, I'll root for the Aztecs because they might actually go somewhere. You know, Santa Barbara's ceiling in basketball is being a 15 seed and getting eliminated in the first round of the tournament. You know, yeah, if they play in the, soccer, I'll root for UC Santa Barbara, right? Because you know that's their calling card. But for the most part, I still follow. That, you know, SDSU. that's a very logical way to do it, and I, I approve of that method. You know, <laughs> well, that's it's a kind gamesmanship. Of a, it's a very yeah. rational, yes, game theory approach to being I, a. Fan. I just want to experience a championship once at UC Santa Barbara. We won one soccer championship while I was there, and we got to throw. You know, the goal off the uh, the cliff there to celebrate. I would just love to celebrate once in San Diego, so I still root for the San Diego. Well, see, I, I satisfy that craving by being a Lakers fan. Mm. Uh, otherwise, and for all my San Diego teams, you know, San Diego State, Chargers, Padres, no one has ever won a championship in my lifetime in San Diego. The Chargers in 1963, the Aztecs won a volleyball one a couple years before I was born. But nothing, nothing at all. So I, I kind of... Satisfy my craving for championships. Although now, 
you know, I'm not getting much luck with the Lakers even the last couple of years as well. Maybe start rooting for Lacosta Canyon. You know, Lacosta Canyon actually took first in the nation. Not going to happen as a Torrey Pines High School. Oh, oh gross! We <laughs> got, got the whole North County triumvirate. My here. kids could end up going to LCC, so I I don't hate LCC like most Torrey Pines grads, but. Yeah, probably not going to end up ever being a huge LCC fan since I went to Torrey Pines. Yeah, and I got the Carlsbad background, so well, we, so you're we, used we to equally hate. Well, so yes, very, very used to losing in Carlsbad. And actually, you know, football pretty good, but otherwise, yeah. you guys have Troy Glouse, Scott Carl, Brady Anderson. A lot of steroid users uh, came t- out of Carlsbad. They're not steroid users. They're people, they're people that care Ted about Johnson. winning. Yeah. Okay, so. Speaking of championships, last night's win for the Padres might incrementally help them get to one this year. Um, one thing that happened during last night's game that I thought was particularly interesting was in the seventh inning when the Padres scored two runs on the Almonte double, Bud Black tried to have Almonte bunt, and he wasn't able to get the bunt down. He bunted it foul on the first baseline and then promptly hit a two-run double. Uh, now, Bud Black has been a large topic on the podcast. It drives me nuts just from a game theory standpoint to see him consistently sacrifice bunt when the mathematics shows it's just a bad option. I, I wonder, and, and I know most media in San Diego really approve of Bud Black strongly, and I, I want to say that you are the, one of the least strong approval, approvers of him. You know, Bob Scanlon will get behind him, you know, really fervently. Same with Derek Togerson on, you know, for NBC7. But I feel like you have like this tepid approval of Bud Black. Why don't you speak more about well, that? Well, I, I do. I like Bud Black. Everyone likes Bud Black. I, I don't agree with everything he does, and I'm not afraid to say it when I don't. In fact, the bunting is certainly one of my more critical elements. And I, I retweet. I think it was my buddy 619 Sports, Craig Elson, who tweeted, that is why you don't bunt, because mm-hmm. you can have a two-run double in that situation. It is worth so much more value. So I, I would love to see Bud Black, you know, use a little bit more of that, you know, statistical approach and, and stay away from the bunts in those situations. I think one of the reasons why I'm hesitant to say, well, just get rid of them, you're not going to find managers out there who just abandon that theory. There are no, I mean, Joe Madden is maybe one of them, but anyone who's gotten to the point of major league manager right now has gone through that, you know, that growing up in the game the older school game that there there's no one out there who's simply going to say no this is you know the stats tell me I've got a 2.7% better chance to win if I do that they're always going to incorporate some of that gut some of that you know old school feel to it so you know I, I don't know that there's someone out there now to me Bud Black is someone who will actually listen to the arguments that are presented to him Josh Stein who who really in the Padres front office is the guy who's in charge of the numbers and the sabermetric, you know, analysis, I feel like Bud Black will actually listen to that stuff and will incorporate some of it. Not all of it, but he'll incorporate some of it. Does he do everything that, that I'd like to see him do in terms of maximizing the Padres' chance at victory? No, no, he doesn't, and I, I kind of wish it would happen a little bit more. But at the same time, I have run into so many coaches and managers in my last, you know, 10 to 15 years covering baseball really closely in San Diego from other teams there's a lot of really hard-headed guys out there who really don't want to listen at all. And I give Buddy credit because he will listen. He'll listen to all of his advisors. He'll listen to his coaches. He'll listen to his front office. Ultimately, he's responsible and the one that has to make the decision. And if the Padres don't you know, get it turned around and make a at least a playoff run, if not make the playoffs, he's probably not getting a new contract. And, and that's justified. I mean, he's had a lot of chances. He finally has a team to do it. But that's why I'm just against... You know, pulling the plug right now and trying to find someone else because I feel like, from that same game theory standpoint, there's a really good chance you're going to end up with someone you like even less than Bud Black as I, the manager. I don't and, disagree and, with and that. We've, we're not we're not leading the, the wagon of fire Bud Black. I think that that's a different level of saying we disagree with his in-game decision making and saying and saying, um, saying saying that you want him fired like next week. And and I'm with you. I don't think. And we talked about it on our last podcast. There is, there's no perfect manager out there that would satisfy the sabermetric uh, fans out there. Short of bringing a spreadsheet that just says, in this situation, do this, or having Josh Stein call down to the dugout. And, and by the way, that wouldn't work because you would lose your entire clubhouse. If they knew yeah. you were simply managing off a, a card, basically, that told you what to do in every situation, you would have no respect from the players, many of whom 
you know, come up without any really thought to these statistics at all and just, you know, know the game. And it's a game of relationships as well. But does, but does that actually translate on the field? Like, when, when the Padres sacrifice bunt and it costs them 3% of their expectancy to win, you know, that we can quantify how that affects the team's performance. You know, like, and, and I can totally buy the argument that Bud Black's a great clubhouse guy and that translates to additional playing time. You know, for me, it's a matter of I don't think the manager necessarily, the person who manages the players, is necessarily the same person with the best skill set to actually manage the on-game performance. And I'd love to see the Padres be proactive and kind of revolutionize, you know, and, and divvy those roles out to people that are best at those roles. Kind of like I've made this, you know, uh, comparison on the podcast before. You know, it the way that baseball hires managers is sort of like, I, you know, I work in computer science. It'd be like hiring someone who's good at Unix. And someone who's good at programming and or you know writing MATLAB code as the same person, you know, those are different skills. And I can accept keeping Bud Black as manager so long as the responsibilities that go along with in-game management, uh, in-game managing from sack bunts, pinch hitting, you know, bullpen management is given to someone with a better feel for that. And I, I can see how you know this has never happened, but. No, why doesn't it happen? Well, I think it would be a good model. I mean, again, it, you wouldn't have to publicize it and say, "Hey, this is our right. our, our stat guy who's going to be making those you know three percent calls in game." But if if I was a GM, if, you know, AJ Preller, I, I would love to have someone on the coaching staff as well who's in the dugout who is very well versed in those situations. And that doesn't mean that you know that guy is going to override the manager's decision every time, but. You know, he's going to be in his ear and saying, you know, just, here, just hey, it's your call, but here are the numbers. And they mm-hmm. say that we got a 4.5% better chance, basically, of winning yeah. if we hit away here instead of bunt. Now, you know, there, there's still, there's got to be room for flexibility. The other night, uh, the Padres were in a situation where, I, I believe Alexia Marista was at the plate with two on and nobody out. And I, I think the book might tell you, you know, with a position player, you don't bunt. But knowing how much struggling Amarista has done in the few weeks and what, you know, he's doing nothing at the plate. I'm going, actually, I'd rather see him bunt at this point and just move the runners over for someone else. And you pointed that out on Twitter. I mean, you're purely on the statistical side where where even with Amarista um, at at the plate, the the expected win percentage was lowered by him bunting. Yeah, and and in fact... I I think I was more with you in that Amarista sucks at hitting and... um, you know? It's 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 a much less egregious bunt. I right, mean, right. I think we can all agree on that. But like, I think the book would tell you you're not supposed to bunt unless it's the bottom. Like you're the home team in the bottom of the ninth, or the bottom of the next inning, and you need that one run, yeah. and that one run will win you the game. Or you have an absolutely awful pitcher at the mound, and it's you know one of the first three innings of the game, and he's just trying to. You, you have to avoid the, bound, the right? egregious mistakes. Right. You, you really do. And, and there was one a few nights ago uh, when the Padres were down one. In the was the top of the tenth or something, and they played for the one on the bunt. I'm going. You don't win the game with one run. Right, You've right. got to exactly. score twice to win. So you can't bunt in that situation. That one really bothered me. On the Amarista, I think I tweeted, "As don't bunt, don't bunt, don't bunt." Oh wait, it's Amarista bunt. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of of, of the Firebud Black movement, uh, you, you're a member of the media. Uh, you know, you have a lot of people that follow you on Twitter, see you on TV, um, have listened to you on the radio. How do you know? So one thing we, we've talked about is of late. I think the Firebud Black movement on Twitter has gotten very militant. Um, I'm and now we're starting to see some of those media members: uh, Bob Scanlon, Mark Grant. Um, what else am I not thinking of? There's more that have now just openly opened fire on, on on tweeters. And it used to be that they would, you know, bite their tongue and just ignore it. And like, as a member of the media, where's that line where you say enough is enough? It's time to just just fire fire back. You know that that's interesting because to me, I, I try to resist the the urge to do that. And I don't think it's so much that you're you're so passionate about your defense of Bud Black. It's that you've just seen. 50 other tweets that are exactly the same and eventually one of them is going to just push in and go, I just can't read this anymore. It's not like I or Bob Scanlon or Mark Brandt has any say in this decision as well. Ultimately it's going to be a call that's made by A.J. Preller and Mike D. and Ron Fowler and hopefully if they're doing their job right, they're not simply 
caving into the whims of public pressure because they've seen a bunch of tweets or they hear even influential members of the media telling them that they should or should not keep a certain guy. I, I would hope that they have a, a you know higher advanced level of running their business than simply uh, you know going with whatever the way the wind is blowing at that moment. So ultimately, we know that we don't have the say, and it just becomes for many people and even me at, at certain points, you know, getting the same tweet from. 40 different people over and over again. You know, everyone kind of gets their breaking point and, and fires back at some point. Even even I do it as well. I tend to be pretty diplomatic on social media. So I, I, I see that you like to just kind of throw gasoline on the fire and then run away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like... Uh, you know, I got I got kids, so I may have thrown gasoline <laughs> on the fire, and then I've got something else to handle at home, and I just don't. I'm not there for the aftermath. But I, I'm not complaining. I find it entertaining a lot of the time. <laughs> oh actually. yeah, Scanlon. I didn't agree with some of the things he says, but the way that he just blew off some of the people that were tweeting was great. He just chose like one weekend where he responded to every tweet, and it was it was fantastic. Like, do you, that must have been so satisfying for them, right? Like being being buttoned up and just letting go for for a couple days. Yeah, exactly. You know, everyone just needs a little bit of an outlet at some point. And you know, it's a long baseball season, especially for I mean, you know, and Scan and and, and Mark who are there with the team and even you know employed in, in certain respects by the team every day. You know, it's a very different you know situation. When I used to do the Padres pregame show. Craig Elston and I from 2000 to 2003, we did every game pre and post. And I'll tell you what, four years, 162 games, you know, bad baseball teams. Bad baseball teams. Those are long seasons. It it, it wears on you. Even just a couple of months in, a baseball season is, is a long season. And, you know, it's the mentally tough are the ones that get through. At the end, because they're going to be there's going to be rough moments, and you just kind of you got to be able to plug through it. So, you know, I, I know a, that feeling. I think a lot of people think that people like Scanlon, Mark Grant, are, are so pro Bud Black, or at least defensive of him on Twitter, because they're employed by the Padres. But we talked about it on the last podcast. Um, it used to be an insult to the manager if you did not extend him for one year when he was going into the last year of the contract, and the fact that Preller in the front office has not done that. Is 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 not a, it's not a, a, a vote of confidence in him. Well, I, I think they first of all they have the right guy to be able to do that. To, to me, it's the right decision. Why would you extend someone if you really haven't made a decision on the future? I mean, he signed a contract; it runs through another year. He's our manager through another year. But the worry about that is that do the players see that and feel like the manager is on shaky ground? I mean, could they? You know, if they start complaining, but they know that with Bud Black, they're not going to get a big clubhouse element that says, oh, this guy's got to go because he's a good players manager and they like him. So you don't really have to worry about that in the final year of the contract that it's just going to devolve and, you know, there's going to be chaos in the clubhouse. That's that's one of Bud Black's strengths. It happens to be working against him in this situation to get a new contract. If you had a guy like, you know, a, you know, a Tony LaRusso or someone else that is going into the final year of the contract, you're right. It, it probably wouldn't happen. And, because of the personality, they'd have to make a decision to either extend or go with someone else going into the last year. But because this is Buck Black, they kind of felt, I think we can get away with it. You know, he'll be fine. He's got the perfect attitude for, for moving forward with all this uncertainty. That's basically what he does best is plow through, you know, whatever the circumstances are and just be buddy. So, you know, he, he's kind of working against himself getting a new contract this year based on his personality. Speaking of new contracts, uh, I mean, Justin Upton's basically playing as well as anyone here could have possibly expected him to play. I think he was the first guy in baseball with 10 home runs and 10 stolen bases this year, and I think he's added to those totals since then. Do you think there's yeah, yeah, home runs for sure? Uh, Do you think there's any chance that he actually signs an extension in San Diego? I I would say no, based on everything I've known in my history as a Padres fan and someone who covers the team, especially considering. The, the salaries they're on the hook for now with, with Kemp and Kimbrell and Upton. Melvin Upton, Lost you know, going, Shields. going forward, Shields. Shields. That's 70 mil. Those I mean, there's players. so much yeah. that they, they have, you know, on, on the books going forward that I would say absolutely not. But I was so stunned by everything that went on in this in this last offseason that I, I guess I can't rule it out anymore. And I do know that, you know, from what I've heard, there, there at least has been discussions in the front office, like, how can we do this? How can we possibly figure out a way to keep Justin Upton? I don't know that there is a way. It's like trying to build a Charger stadium. Everyone wants everyone yeah. wants it, but there's no real great way to do it 
you know, that's not so expensive that, that really breaks the bank. So I kind of, you know, Justin Upton keeping him is in that same, kind of in that same vein. Do you want to ballpark the percentage odds here? Because on Justin Upton? I would on, say about 20 to 25 percent that he's back. That's, that's a lot higher than I, I, I think that's more than what we were I mean, I, I, so I've written a, Well, I've written a blog post where, you know, I went back and looked at every big name free agent going into their final year, and there are very few instances where they sign an extension before they hit free agency. In fact, the only one I had was uh, was Adrian Gonzalez, and that's because he was traded and then had mm-hmm. to sign an extension as part of the trade. There are very few instances of it. I, I don't remember who Upton's agent is, but I certainly would not be recommending uh, a, a, you know signing with the Padres at least at this point. You, you know, well, you're not going to get without your hitting the market, market off. I mean, exactly. The yeah, after, is, after the season, you know, get get the bidding more going because he's going to be. I know it's a it's a great year for free agency coming up, and there's a number of big names hitting the market, but. You know, Justin Upton's obviously going to be one of the premium ones. One yeah. A, I think. I mean, he's twenty-seven. I mean, yeah, he is number he's one. Going to be he's the number one free agent. free agent. I mean, even if he has a mediocre rest of the year, his numbers at the end are going to be pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's looking at minimum, you know, two seventy-five, twenty to thirty home runs, hundred RBI, and twenty-seven. And, and, and at his age, I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be able to break the bank in the off season. The only thing, the only reason you consider it is the possibility of an injury. Between now and then, and you know, I think that's a dice roll I'd be willing to take if I'm Justin Upton and his agent. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. Well, we talked about Alexia Marista earlier. So one of the one of the the big campaigns that Intelligence has taken on in the last week, some have considered ridiculous. Uh, and we talked about gamesmanship earlier, and this is the biggest example of our stance on gamesmanship. So the NL All-Star results, uh, early results, came out this week. Um, the Padres are pushing vote Upton, vote vote Norris. If you take a look at those statistics, um, the likelihood of them being elected is very, very small. Um, I did an analysis of the, the spread of votes between the first place and fifth place. Uh, Norris is fifth, and in the case of Upton and Kemp, they're eighth and ninth for, for, uh, for outfield. The spread of their votes is so large in that early voting period that the likelihood of them closing that gap is so small that I don't believe it's worth the effort. So what I've advocated for is I took a look at the positions and I looked at shortstop. And shortstop, for whatever reason, is garnering the least amount of interest in votes. The spread between first and fifth place is such a small uh, delta that I believe with a surge of votes of the Padres fan base... 35 votes a day, per day, for the next 33 days at this point. It's feasible that Alexi Amarista could be elected starting shortstop. And, and not only this, but like the way the MLB tallies the votes is so beneficial to the cause. Because they basically ask for an email address. You, know, you put in your votes, you click a button, you enter some capture phrase, and it basically returns you to the exact same page where you just enter a capture phrase again. I was actually able to vote 350 times yesterday, so 35 times per 10 fake email accounts. In a matter of 15 minutes. So it's it's a doable cause, conceivably, if we can get enough people to do it. I appreciate the math, the logic behind what you guys are doing, but you know you're really kind of hurting the cause of, of statistics when you're trying to get Alexi Amarista into the All-Star game. Whether or not it's actually feasible or reasonable. I mean, Does anyone want to see Alexi Amarista in the no, All-Star no, game no, no, embarrassing no. the podcast? But, no, but... but so what I always point to is in the early 90s, Benito Santiago was an automatic, right, to be elected catcher. He was not the best catcher back then. He was impressive because he threw off his knees and he had a great 1987 Topps baseball card. Beyond that, he was not deserving of being like the starter eight years in a row. So the All-Star game, in a way, has always been somewhat of a joke in that not the best player gets elected. In fact, for a shortstop right now, it's, it's Johnny Peralta leading the voting. You know, in in, uh, in the American League, they have like the entire Royals team is elected to the All Star game. Yeah, right Aramis Ramirez was elected last year at third base for the National League. And the thing is, in some way, I would say that voting for Alexi Amarista is a way to to, to spit in the face of Bud Seeley for making the All Star game count. It's a call for reform. Yes. is what yeah. it and, is. And and like I feel like if you were to rank teams on where and where and how they've been treated by Major League Baseball over the past decade. The Padres would have to be in your in your last five, right? I mean, the, just the way the McCourt divorce was handled, but not the Moore's divorce. Like, I mean, just I feel like you can go down the line. This is 
a great way for us to say, hey, screw you, baseball. And I, I will add, as a Padres fan, I appreciate seeing Padres uniforms on the field. And I'm not saying Norris and Upton are undeserving. In fact, I think that they have a very good chance of being reserves. Um, and they're not going to get elected. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers. No, there. they're not. You know, I, I'm doing the math of how many San Diego fans need to vote 35 times per day for the next 33 days. It, it's astronomical the number of people that need yeah. to do it. I, I know you both realize this because you're smart guys, but you're, you're not. it's not a mutually exclusive decision. If you vote Amarista 35 times, you can also vote Norris. Which I'm Upton advocating. Which I'm, I'm advocating wow. voting the whole ticket. But, but the push, it, it does take a lot to convince the average fan to vote every day 35 it times. Does. I would say 350 times is better per day, but yeah. you know, 35 <laughs> times is enough. And what I've calculated is we only need 700 to 1,000 people to do that. And we can get Alexi Amaris to elect it. <laughs> that would be a, uh, that would definitely be probably the final straw that forced Major League Baseball to reform how they choose their All-Stars. And isn't that what we all want? Exactly. That is true. Uh, we do want that. Well, good. Then I'm glad we can count on you to talk about this we on do. Channel we 10 do want tonight. We do uh, want that. No, I, I don't want to look crazy. Are you, doing the pre, are you doing the pregame show tomorrow? Uh, uh, well, you know, tomorrow night, I think I think we might have to be, it's kind of weird because it's such a late game yeah. that I've got my TV conflict, and I know now uh, Ella's going to be calling San Diego State Baseball, so oh. we're going to have to be off this weekend. Well, next week. Feel yeah, free next to, week. To, we'll, yeah, to we'll, support the cause. We'll, we'll bring it up, I'm sure. <laughs> Personally, I think this is the cause that can bring all the factions together. I think we can bring all the blogs together, all the, the media members. We, uh, Darren Smith tweeted about it this morning. I had Agler and Bavacqua endorse it on Thursday on Padres Social Hour. So, And I will be hosting Social Hour on Friday. Good. Yeah. Then we can count on you, there you go. to carry the flag. Bavacqua and I can continue the conversation. <laughs> So we know you have to uh, get off to your job here shortly, but I, I, I wanted to bring up one more thing. It's The Padres are currently two games under five hundred. They haven't been playing good baseball. Now, granted, they've been missing Yonder Alonso and Will Myers. Brandon Morrow's been out. They've had some pretty bad luck with Josh Johnson and his, and his rehab, and really none of the minor leaguers are off to a great start that you would hope to see, especially Hunter Renfro, for example. But I haven't lost my optimism for the season. I still think they can be a good baseball team and make the playoffs. But it's dampened a little bit. At what point during the season, if, if we if we reach the All Star break and they're still under 500, or we go into August and they're still under, you know, at what point do we abandon hope? And is there a point before the trade deadline in which we reach that? Yeah, that's a good question. And one of the reasons that I've stayed pretty optimistic is the is the strength of schedule factor that they face. Mm-hmm. I, uh, last time I checked, they they had faced the fourth hardest schedule, maybe the hardest in the National League. Through the first you know couple of months of the season, and they've managed to you know tread water. I, you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of the season and you're seeing these games and they lose, you know, 50 percent of them basically, you, you get frustrated as fans, and I'm sure you get frustrated as players. But if you were say in January and you look and you say, well, if the Padres, if you knew the Padres were going to face the toughest schedule in the National League for the first couple of months, where would you want them to be at that point? before the schedule starts to get easier. And you say, well, if they can just stay right around 500 against the tough schedule and then make hay in the second half of the season, I, that's not bad to me as a Padres fan. So I, I think that's why I remain optimistic. Now, if the schedule starts to turn, and I know in kind of late June into July, they finally start to get facing teams like the Phillies and the Brewers. And, and you know, they, they have not fa- By the way, I don't think they faced a fourth or fifth place team outside of the NLS yet no, this season. Haven't. Every single team they've played has been top three in their division, and almost all of them have also been at or above 500. A couple of teams kind of hover day-to-day, whether they're at 500 or not. Angels, Mariners, somewhere in there. But basically, they haven't had a let-up in the schedule from the beginning, other than a couple series against the Rockies, in which they've done pretty well against the Rockies. So you know, if, if they can't make hay against those teams, you know, late June early July into the All-Star break, then then you got to start to worry and say, okay, now we've got to, um, maybe we've got to start thinking about dealing with the trading deadline and building for the future. Because they did mortgage a lot of the future for this season in terms of the salaries they've taken on. And if they can set themselves up better for following seasons, it's something that A.J. Preller will absolutely have to consider if he really doesn't think going to the playoffs is, is, is a realistic option 
without an unbelievable August and September. I mean, I think it's it's going to be the All Star break. I mean, we talked about it when the Upton trade happened. I mean, some of the value in trading for Upton was that we had an out and we could recover some of that value if the whole you know if this crazy plan doesn't work out. Um, I mean, I'm with you. I'm optimistic, and I do think that they're going to perform better against the worst teams in the National League on the schedule. But if it doesn't, I mean, Upton's that the chip that we I think it's critical to trade if if we're not in position to win. I think the worst thing that could happen is the team is hovering around 500 and they decide to go for it and they don't make it and they hold on to Upton and they hold on to Kennedy. You know, then you can get a compensation draft pick, obviously, if, if Upton leaves as a free agent. But you know, compared to what you might be able to get, I mean, I, if I, there's if there's teams that are desperate for starting pitching, bullpen, and a big bat, I mean, they can really command a big haul before yeah. the trading deadline. I would you know, even consider have to, using have him as a, as a chip to, to tack on Bossman Jr. or uh, or or even like a Jed Jerko. Yeah, she had a couple of bad contracts as well. And I because like we're talking about, I mean, we seriously have four players that will be seventy million dollars next year. That's that was a high payroll for us the last ten years, and if, we got a lot of players going on. You know, the interesting thing is, and I was just thinking about this the other day. A lot of people have started to turn a little bit of attention toward A.J. Preller, going, well, maybe he didn't know what he was doing in putting together this team. So I looked at it, and I thought, well, let's let's see all the people who he's picked up in the offseason, how they perform. Upton, he's done great. Shields, he, he's done great. I mean, those, those two pickups have been fantastic. Norris. Myers, until he got hurt, was, was doing really well. Norris has done really well. Millibrooks, who he basically got for nothing. A, yeah. a catcher who was thrown in on another deal yeah. for a team. I mean, he has six six home runs. and you know He's not hitting for high average, but for the for and, what they invested in him, you've got to like the return you've gotten on Middlebrooks. Mm-hmm. So and, and he might be able to play shortstop. Which drastically increases his <laughs> offensive value. I mean, he played it last night, and he made a nice play up the middle. I, I was So basically... Yeah. The only two acquisitions that Preller made in the offseason that haven't been, you know, A on the report card are Kemp, who was an absolute A in the first month of the season, even though he wasn't in home runs. He was mashing the ball. And then he's gone to a big slump for a month. It happens, but you got to go mixed. And Kimbrell, who surprisingly has not been quite as dominant, although he hasn't killed the team because he's converted most of his saves and he's managed to muddle through for the first couple of months. But... I mean, AJ looks like he's actually got a pretty good eye for the guys he brought in. It's the guys who he's stuck with, the Amaristas, the Jerkos, the, you know, some of the guys who haven't been performing as well on, in the pitching staff and the yeah. bullpen that were holdovers that, that have kind of sunk the Padres in the first couple of months of the season, not the guys that AJ Preller has brought in. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, I think some of the pieces the Potters gave away, though, have produced. You know, Jesse Hahn had a great game you know, recently this week. Jace Peterson, who was kind of, I think, one of the throw-ins of the Justin Upton deal, he's been playing well in Atlanta, um, at least from an on-base percentage standpoint and a defensive standpoint. I mean, you can go on down the line. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly, all, there's certainly going to be people LA, who are producing. Yeah. When you give out that many players, just the odds are going to be I don't think you can do, though. Well, well, if I had one criticism of what he gave up too much, I think we're finding that... The Padres had a lot of pitching depth between, you know, Hahn and Whistler and all these options we talked about to come up. But we thought, well, the Padres don't really need them, though. I mean, they got Cashner and they got Ross and they got Shields and they got Kennedy. I mean, when are they going to – I mean, these guys are all blocked off. Use them for something. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing Kennedy's not pitching well and Morrow, which you couldn't be surprised that he got hurt and has been mm-hmm. out. And all of a sudden you're wishing you kind of had a Hahn – that you could have put in the rotation Especially or a Whistler me. that you yeah. could have brought up in the rotation at this point to, you know, give, you know, give a spot start here or there. To, you know, let Kennedy take a couple of weeks off or not have to rely so much on the up and downs of Odrisa Merdespanier. And it's like, hmm, you know, maybe they dealt a little too much pitching depth. You're waiting for Casey Kelly or Corey Lupke to come back or Josh Johnson. Keep, keep waiting. It's just it's just <laughs> slow, slow progress. Yeah. And, you know, you can't really count on any of those guys to give you anything this yeah. season. I mean, so. I, was, I was talking to my, my friend I went to the game on Thursday with. Like, there's no one to call up to take. I mean, Kennedy's pitching horribly right now. I don't know who we call him. Erlin's pitching horribly at AAA. Jason Lane, who I, I mean, I love seeing him, but he's not a major league caliber starting pitcher. I mean, there's nothing, nothing down there. And it's disappointing because right now, Ian Kennedy has been the worst pitcher in all of baseball this season to date. 
which is not something I don't think any of us expected. I mean, no, no, we've got Raz plenty on Twitter. Yeah, we both went on the record saying we thought he was the best pitcher on the team last last season, and I'll still stand by that. But yeah, I mean, prior to signing James Shields, we actually advocated for giving Ian Kennedy more starts by skipping the fifth starter whenever you could, and he's been the worst starter to date. So yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but the thing with Preller is. As far as the strategy he executed, which was to turn the team around in one offseason, I don't think he could have executed that plan any better. Now, there's question as to whether that plan was the best plan to do, but I, as far as, you know, at least they had a plan and they followed it for once. Until, really, until the day before the season started, though, none of the moves was that crippling for the future. Kemp was obviously a gamble with the amount of years you took on, but, you know, and, and I'm going to keep my mind open. As much as he struggled in the last month, I'm not going to just say, oh, that was a terrible trade, yeah. and they've got four and a half years of struggle. We have struggle no choice. Of I mean, we need you, to. You we don't. Yeah, you get to cross our fingers. But but it's the pickup of, of Melvin, Bossman Jr., B.J. Upton. That's the one that I just feel like you might regret. Now, if Kimbrell was, you know, tossing a one ERA, and, you know, the bullpen was, as they thought, was going to be not just, you know, good, but far and away the best in baseball. And you're, you're 10 games above 500 at this point. And you say, okay, well, you know what? Dead money. That's good dead money spent because you've really made the team well. But with Kimbrell not being quite Kimbrell and the bullpen being not only not far and away the best in baseball, but rather mediocre to poor in the yeah. first part of the season, you're going, boy, that's hurting you two ways. Now your bullpen's not good. And you're just saddled with this albatross for the next couple of years as well that you're not going to be able to get rid of without taking a, a, a hit somewhere, whether it be in talent you know, or, or money from someone else to get rid of. So that's the one that now I'm going, oh, man, I, do you think you really would do that over again if you had, if you had the choice? I, I agree with that. Also because you never know that the DH might come to the National League and that will really help out Matt Kemp. Well, not in the course of – not in the timeline we're talking about. Like – not in the next three know. years. I think the DH might be in baseball even like I, next I don't year. Even, do you want him hitting DH? He's hitting 250 with one home run. I mean, he's obviously slumping. But I'd rather I think sign Russell Brannion from the Tijuana Toros to play DH than, than him. I don't know if the DH is coming. I On a different topic, though, I was very intrigued. I think it was Jason Stark who wrote this week about implementing a split schedule in Major League Baseball, kind of like they did in the strike year in 81 where you've got a first-half champions and second-half champions that qualify for the playoffs and then maybe also have overall champions. He wasn't exactly sure how you'd schedule it and make it work. But, I mean, for you, you've got, as a fan, you kind of got to like the idea of hitting the reset button in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. if, if you've been disappointed, hey, if you've been great, you've already qualified for the playoffs, the second half is like, okay, now we can really lock it in and get ready for the postseason. If you had a bad first half... Yeah, zero and zero again. It's like you get a whole other season. Plus, you get an entire, you know, late June pennant race that you're going through. That yeah. you know adds when really kind of a dead time on the sports calendar after yeah. the NBA and NHL playoffs are going. You kind of got this month, and the only thing that is is the All Star game, which is we've already discussed. It's kind of a joke to begin with. Instead, you've got this pennant race to battle to lock up some playoff spots. I was very intrigued by that idea and would love to see Major League Baseball seriously consider something like that. And as a game theory person, I'm already wrapping my head around the possibility that this would greatly benefit the Padres, seeing as they suffer, it seems to be, they suffer way more Tommy John surgeries and season-ending surgeries than any other team. Knowing those players can come back in July and be healthy for the second part of the season, I, I mean, I think you actually would see teams structure their rosters such that, you know, these players that are going to come back in June generally don't command large contracts, for example, in the offseason if they're coming off an injury or something. You know, you could see, you could stack them up so that they all come back at the same time and you actually just make a run one half of the season. Uh, yeah, I, I was this is the first I've heard of the idea, stuff so I'm just yeah. trying to think about it. But yeah, I mean, obviously there's going to be the traditionalists who are opposed to any changes at all. But I, I think we've seen that, you know, through the NFL, that, you know, rational changes that add entertainment to the game. The wild card certainly has not hurt Major League Baseball at all. I, 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 like, I like being open to new ideas. I, you don't necessarily need to change the game completely. You know, to keep it in. Hey, we got to keep it entertaining for the next generation. So let's, uh, you know, add video game controllers or something. I'm not, you know, it's not 
you, you don't have to be crazy, but that's not a. I mean, first of all, it's, it's precedented because it's happened before yeah. in a strike season. They've done it before. You know, it didn't destroy the game. And I just love the idea of two pennant races, of teams that struggled in the first half, of turn. I mean, how many teams do you see? Like, for instance, this season, and I think Jason Stark made that argument, the um, uh, what, what the teams are surprisingly doing well uh, early in the season. Well, the we got the Astros, of course, and the Minnesota Twins. Yes. Yes. I mean, no one thinks the Minnesota Twins are going to be able to hold on to this the whole year, but if you were doing a split season, all of a sudden they are legitimately a chance to lock up a playoff yeah. spot yeah. in the first half of the year. I mean, that's very exciting. And, and they would be able to call up like Byron Buxton yeah. and Miguel Sanyo for the end of the year. The playoff run. Meanwhile, if you're an Oakland A's fan, you're feeling like the season's over yeah. already at this point. But with Billy Bean in the second half, and yeah, makes you're thinking, changes. well, all of a sudden, we you know we can turn well, it around. Even as the Padres fans, yeah. I mean, we're a second half team the past uh, few years. Like we would have likely won the, the second half of it. And, and you know that to me, that's both a uh, a criticism going right back to the beginning because it's good to wrap things up where you started. That's both one of the best and worst things about Bud Black, his manager, is he is great for the long run. He's always got an eye on the fact that it's a 162-game season. You know, he likes to protect arms and manage for the long run. And to me, it really hurts in terms of individual game-to-game strategy. Reluctance to pull the starter early because you don't want to tax the bullpen. Go to be aggressive for a pinch hitter. The fact that they carry eight relief pitchers including Corey Mazzoni. I've got no idea why he's in the major leagues. Why not just throw a position player yeah. out there? You're only going to use him when you're down six six runs already. It doesn't matter. So what's the point of having a guy like that on the roster when you could have another bat somewhere? Where at, can... at this point, this is actually what Jason Lane was created for, to, to bring True. up someone who can pitch and pinch hit. <laughs> and could pinch hit as well. Exactly. I would rather see Jason Lane on the roster than Corey Mazzoni at this yeah. point. It, you know, It's all that long-term strategy, but if, as we've seen several times... The Padres, all of a sudden you get to August and you got all these teams that are worn out and Bud Black just starts, you know, managing circles around them because he's got, you know, fresh players that he's protected over the course of the season and, you know, the Padres finish strong. Now, usually they've been so far out of it in the beginning that this second half strong finish means nothing. Maybe this year it'll actually hopefully mean something for the Padres when they go easier schedule, maybe a fresher team in the second half, maybe get an arm like Josh Johnson back. You know, I, I can see big things for the Padres coming up in the second half. Unfortunately, it's baseball, and you can also easily something can go wrong and things fall apart, and then you know it, it's all it's all lost. But that's why we watch. Yeah. Well, let's hope for a big June because I think the June is the critical critical time. Got to get it started in June. Yeah. You got to have a winning June. Yeah. You don't have to have a you know a eighteen and ten June, but you, you got to at least have a winning June. Where you're back to above 500 a game or two, and then, then I'll feel good heading toward the All Star break. So just to wrap it up here, I, I have one last question to pose to you, and I have a response to this that'll be in an article early next week. If I could offer you, and and you can accept on behalf of the Padres the second wild card position this year, would you accept it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I have one last question. Uh, in terms of, as opposed to winning the division? And uh, yeah, as opposed to having the opportunity spot? to either have the home playoff game as no. a fourth? I would take, I would definitely take any chance at the one game playoff. Okay. We've seen too many teams, you know, to just get, I mean, it's all about just getting hot then in October at that point. And yeah, it would be frustrating if you got there and you lost that one game and you were out. But at this point, to me... There's a much larger possibility of the Padres finishing sixth or worse in the National League than fourth or better. So, yeah. you, you got to take that spot yeah. if you can get it. And if if Bud Black manages to get the Padres to that second wild card spot, would you keep him? Because the reason I ask is because in Bud Black's first season, I mean, technically that's what he did, right? In 2007, we had to play a one game playoff with the Rockies on the road because we had didn't have the tiebreaker to you know to play a home game in that scenario. So. In theory, he's already done that once as Padres manager with a good roster. You know, is that enough? For you, you know, I, I tell you, I'd, I'd look. It, to me, it's not a, a decision you make simply on Bud Black's performance, but it's also on who is available and who you think you could hire. And if there was someone out there, kind of like the Rick Renneria, Joe Madden situation, the Cubs liked Rick Renneria, but they had someone that they liked a lot better. And if there's someone out there you like a lot better, that's the kind of situation where you say, yeah, we like this guy a lot better. Sorry, buddy. You know, maybe we'll find a place for you in the front office or 
you can go somewhere else. But if you don't, then you're also comfortable saying, hey, you got us to the playoffs. It didn't work out. We lost that one game. But I think fans, and we know the players like you, would feel comfortable giving you a new you know, three, three-year deal moving forward with a fourth-year option. Well, my last question, <clears throat> I, it's, a, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart as a native uh, North Countier, which you are as well. So I've talked about a, a, lo- a lot about how in the old days the Padres actually marketed to North County. Uh, in the Target Center in Encinitas, there used to be a Padres store where they would do uh, appearances and events and stuff to attract North County fans. And I pointed out repeatedly that in today this management team has totally ignored North County. Uh, they did a caravan this year that went to Mike D's home fire station in Rancho Santa Fe, which was not open to the public, and did no other events in North County. And we've talked a lot, you know, in darker days of Padres history, that this is contested territory. We believe that you can go to the Angels game in almost as short of a time as you can go to a Padres game. How should the Padres be marketing better to North County? That's a good question. I and you've got kids too, you know, that, that you know. Yeah, my the oldest is a, TV, my oldest so. is a big baseball fan. My youngest doesn't care at all. You know, he's the typical new generation that doesn't doesn't <laughs> are interested in sports. Minecraft, absolutely. Um, so it, it is interesting. I don't I don't feel necessarily ignored. To me, I'd rather see them do what they did and invest in the game day experience, the board at Petco Park, than you know try to market. You know, have a venture or two in the North County or keep a Padres store open here. I mean, if I'm a fan, I can go to the Padres store when I go to the games. I want the games to be great. And I do feel like, of, of all the flaws that they've had, that they've done a good job in improving the game day experience. I mean, you can go up, and I, I had some people who went up to Anaheim for when the Padres played the Angels. They don't have the you know the food options, the things that the Petco Park has had. And Petco Park didn't have those when it opened either. And I, I really give them a lot of credit for incorporating some of our best local stuff into the ballpark to really make it. And I know the skeptic says, well, that's because they know their team isn't any good, so they better make it better make it a good experience. But at some point, the team's going to be good. To me, they're separate issues completely. There's the team on the field, and there's the ballpark experience. And I, I give the Padres credit. I mean, you know, it's, it's. I want to. If I'm going to go eat at the game, and I'm not going to just, you know, spend money on anything. I'm not going to spend seven dollars on a, in a crummy, you know, chicken boiled sandwich, hot boiled hot dog. You know, I want. I'd rather spend, you know, ten to twelve dollars on something local. You know, like a Rimmel's, you right. know, a local North County institution, or Phil's Barbecue, or. Odads or Seaside Lucha Market. Libre, yeah. Seaside. Yeah, I mean, you know, that to me, that is kind of bringing North County in. When you have staples of North County, like Rimmel's and Seaside as part of the ballpark, I feel like, absolutely, this is this is a North County team. I got North County stuff up here. We got North County beers, you know, from breweries up here. I, I do feel like it's more a part of the team than simply, you know, holding an event. Sure, they should. If they're doing a caravan, they should probably probably have more events up north where people can get to them a little bit easier, but to me it's not a huge problem in terms of the marketing of the team. Well, that's good. It's good to hear another another uh, another side of it. I, I know a lot of North County fans that I've talked to have felt somewhat Somewhat ignored. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Know, I'm sure uh, everyone. You know, everyone. Well, doctor, as another a fan. Uh, blogger for Padres Public. He's very vocal on the subject as well. No. But, um, you know, one of my biggest memories as a child was going to the Padres store in Encinitas and meeting Steve Finley, and that's like one of those things where, as a kid, that's huge. You know, I met Gerald Clark at the baseball card store on Encinitas Boulevard. Like those were huge things back then, and it would be nice, for, you know, when my daughter's a little older, that you know, someday maybe I could take her down the street and meet. Exactly. Whoever the player is at that point, so you know, to me, I, I just think that Melvin Upton. Yeah, if Boss Man <laughs> Junior. That would be great. I'll great say this though: if you go, yeah, this is your youth, which is probably what fifteen to twenty years ago. We're saying, yeah, yeah. If you go back another fifteen years, there was never any opportunity. And I, I talk about this with Chris many times on the radio. Chris Ello, who I did the show with for four years that he never had a chance to meet any of the stuff. They never went out and did public appearances. If you, you know, growing up in the 70s, you know, or early 80s or late 60s, teams did not go out and do public appearances. You never had a chance to meet players 
or get autographs. And now it's almost expected. You've got your fan fest mm-hmm. before the season. We've got opportunities to do that. You've got appearances at local businesses, right. sponsors, things like that, that that we're lucky that we've been able to do. Now, you know, obviously there's going to be place, you know, some place that you wish they went here or not there, but uh, to me it's a lot better than it used to be. Well, being a Padres <laughs> in general, I would say it's a lot better than it used to be. Yeah. yeah. In some ways, this is the golden age of being a Padres fan. You know, you got podcasts, you got a bunch of the talk about it, you've got not terrible play on the field, you got good food at the ballpark. Like this, you said that not ironically too. Isn't <laughs> exactly, that, isn't yeah. that amazing? I know. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, we've had plenty of irony dripping on these podcasts in the past. Yeah, if you go listen to any of our podcasts from last year, you'll immediately see how much, of, how big of an idiot. We are. In many respects. We are so dumb. We're never going to sign anyone. We're never going to get anyone. And now we're talking about James Shields, Matt Kemp, and Justin Upton. You know, and so. I, I've seen, obviously, Change the Padres, David, you know, some of your stuff, the documentary, and, and to me, a little, it was a little over the top, but you have to feel good in that the Padres changed. Oh, completely. They, they changed no from last year it. to this That's year. Not, not just that. Holder they, they have changed. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, whether or not you played any part of that at all, I, I if I were you, I'd feel kind of good about the fact that, well, you know what, I wanted them to change, and they changed. Oh. I can't... I can't agree with every single change all the time, but they didn't keep doing the same they things tried. No, they were doing. They're cru- trying to do something Crucially, different. I, I no longer think, if, if this season doesn't turn out right, I, I cannot blame the ownership group right now for that. I mean, maybe maybe the edicts from above, you know, improved this year was unrealistic, and I can blame them for that. But look, I mean, they put money on the field. They got a new general manager. They got a new team president. The payroll's higher than it ever has. They signed a marquee free agent. Like, I, I can no longer complain of about that, and that's why I'm a season ticket holder, and that was what I wanted to be all along. So I, you know, I'm very happy about that. And that's, a, I think that's a great, that's a great attitude, and and, and and the Padres should be praised for doing it. It's still professional sports, as they'll tell you many times. The other team wants to win too, and you know, it's just not going to happen sometimes. And I know we've been waiting so long, but we feel like it's our time. We deserve it. Our team is trying. We've got the players. We deserve it. But ultimately, the universe doesn't work that way. And it, this may not be the team that wins it all or even goes to the playoffs. But you have to at least respect the effort. Maybe some of the decisions along the way weren't the right ones, but you got to respect the effort that they put into trying, at least, to be a team that we could legitimately discuss as being a, a, a contender for this season, whether it works out or not. And in the end, it's, it's entertainment. And are we not entertained right now? I mean, Way more entertained, entertained than we were last year. I had a lot of cold time. games on Tuesday nights last year that were not entertaining at all. A lot of people have criticized this year's team by pointing out the record has been basically the same as it was last year, this time, the year before. It's been this so time. much better. But it's so much <laughs> so more entertaining. Much better, yeah. I mean, it is just leaps and bounds more entertaining. <laughs> I, you know, you don't. You don't turn off the game after the third inning and just thought, this is the same game we watched the night before, and the night before that, they're going to lose 3-1, to one, and it was just so weary. And, and even, like, the first game in this Pirates series, the Padres got off to an awful start. They were way behind. I didn't turn off the game. Like, in years past, if they were down 6 nothing, 7 nothing. I mean, the game's over, right? Like, they put runs on the board, they made it competitive, and I... I literally watched that game all the way until the end. They got the time run to the plate, didn't they? They got the time run to the plate down 7 to nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's something. And, I, and with no outs, right? I don't think there were any outs when that happened. When that happened, yeah. No, no. Yeah, it was no. I mean, it's just it's disappointing they didn't bring anyone across. And, and yeah. you know, then they brought in Corey Mazzoni. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we won't keep you any longer. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, hopefully, we can do this again. Maybe. Uh, when the Potters are above 500, hopefully. Possibly, yeah. Possibly. Or maybe after... Pennant Race Edition. Yeah. Yes. I'd say that we're officially hashtag Team Higgins at this point. We can we can put Team Hacksaw behind us, yes? Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Until the next guest, and then we're hashtag... Yes. Guys, hashtag I, I enjoyed it. Th- yeah. Thank you for the invitation. Appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, have a lot of wins to cheer for this summer. Yep. All right, and until next time, go Padres. Go Padres.